by his power. And all God's people said, amen. You guys can be seated. Herb. Yo, I don't think we should talk about this. Come on, why not? People might misunderstand what we're trying to say, you know? Come on. Let's talk about C12, how we doing? Yeah? Man, anybody could come up and preach after that. Uh, uh, the worship, not the emoji thing. But anybody could come up and preach after that. Can you guys give that up for the band? I am, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I am, I am brand spanking new to 12 Stone. I have been here uh, about a month-ish, something like that. I um, am uh, uh, the group life pastor here at the Central Campus. Love it. We are. My wife and I are just excited to be a part of what God is doing through Twelve Stone, uh, the nine camp or the five campus launch, and and the fact that th- I mean, this church is seeing people come to know the Lord. I mean, it's just an incredible time for what God is doing here at Twelve Stone. My wife and I uh, live up in Brazelton. We have an eight-month-old son named Bear. Like the forest animal, that is his name, uh, spelled like the forest animal, not the paint. If anybody knows the paint, B-E-H-R, it's B-E-A-R is how we actually, uh, we spell our son's name. We don't really know why we did that, but we just did. So, um, but man, it is, uh, it is absolutely my privilege to be here. There is something uh, special about college ministry. There's something special about this age of life. This is when, when I was 18 years old, God absolutely won my life, stole my heart at Valdosta State University. Uh, yeah, somebody got some, uh, some love for Valdosta. And uh, at Valdosta State University, God just absolutely won my heart. And uh, college for me was a, was a crossroads. And I think it is for, for many people, especially for people who grew up in the church. Either your faith becomes real and you fall in love with Jesus all over again, or you run from, from Jesus. And I hope and pray that tonight, and what I'm feeling in the room, I don't know if you're feeling in the room, what I'm feeling is there's people in here who love Jesus. Is that right? Would you agree with that? So, uh, so Matt and I have, uh, have been talking about this, this conversation that we're going to begin today called Let's Talk About, and obviously fill in the blank, but we're, we are talking about sex. And so I am brand new to 12 Stone. Matt kind of just pat me on the shoulder, say, hey man, just go kind of break yourself in and go talk to the college students about sex. So here I am to talk about the birds and the bees. Hopefully you're, you at least have some, a little bit of foreknowledge of what this is. And, and I think there, there's probably a little bit of tension. I think there's probably a little bit of excitement in the room, but there's probably a little bit of tension because you have these expectations of what this message is going to be like. And so we kind of want to loosen up the room a little bit just to kind of help everybody breathe a little sigh of relief. And I I found a a clip from a classic movie uh, with a little boy who has uh, some, some, some great words of advice for us. So reminder, so watch the screens. (laughs) Thanks for the tip. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen Kindergarten Cop. Yeah? Go watch Kindergarten Cop. That little kid makes 
the whole movie worthwhile. So go watch Kindergarten Cop. You know, this is, right? This is a conversation that we kind of have to loosen ourselves up a little bit. We kind of have to begin uh, just kind of knowing that that there's, there's the opportunity for it to be heavy, and there's the opportunity for it to be awkward. There's the opportunity for it just to be a tense conversation. It's just naturally got that that weight to it. But the reality is, if I ask this question, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope that, that you're honest with me, okay? I ask this question, and, and this kind of should level the playing field in the room, but how many of you are looking forward to having sex one day? Some of you are like, am I allowed to raise my hand? <laughs> is God here? Does he see this right now? Yeah, okay, so all of us, and if you didn't raise your hand, come on, come on. Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Just call him out. Just preach a little bit. You're a liar, man. Sex is this thing. It unfortunately dominates our culture, but it is this thing that, that is a part of every single one of our lives. Whether you are, are, uh, are looking forward to what God would have in marriage, whether it's been something that you've had to wrestle with in the past or it's just this thing that, man, you're looking forward to, whatever it may be, it is a reality. It is a, a thing that you and I all have to kind of, uh, we have to face. We have to come face to face with with, with sex and what God would have to say about this. But unfortunately, there's four barriers that keep us from typically having the conversations that we need to have about this important topic. And on your notes, you're going to see, I'm just going to list out really quickly four barriers that we're just going to kind of push through before we even start tonight's conversation. That first barrier that I want you to think about is the cultural barrier is the cultural barrier. There are so many things specifically in our culture that damage our sensitivity to sex. I mean, I'll put it this way. I cannot even watch a Hardee's commercial anymore. My wife has forbade me from watching Hardee's commercials because I did not know you needed softcore pornography to sell biscuits and gravy, but you do, apparently. And on ESPN, these commercials come on that are just absolutely ridiculous. And the, the, the point is, in our culture, sex is exploited, it's sold, it's put it's communicated everywhere you turn. It's in your face, especially as a college student. Sex is in your face. So we kind of have to get past this cultural barrier and the natural insensitivity that we have to such an important topic nowadays. But it's true. Sex is, is not the, this weighty thing that it used to be and how it's, it still is in many cultures. In our culture, it's lost a level of weight. It's lost its 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 its. I mean, the power that it has. We've forgotten how powerful sex is. The next barrier is the uncomfortable barrier. There are some of you right now in this room that are just squirming in your seats. You can't stand the fact that I just said sex and that little boy just said penis and vagina. You can't stand it. (laughs) Right? It's naturally uncomfortable. And as funny as that is, why is that? A couple of reasons. One, some of you are uncomfortable with this conversation because of a past Some of you are uncomfortable with this conversation because of mistakes. Some of you are uncomfortable with this conversation because you're kind of ignorant to the whole idea. So some of you are uncomfortable because of shame. Other ones are uncomfortable because of ignorance. Some of you are just like, dude, this is a personal conversation that I don't know if I'm ready to have in church. So we have to push past this uncomfortable barrier. The next barrier that you're going to have to push past is kind of like the uncomfortable in a way. It's the baggage barrier. The baggage barrier, we are carrying so much. When it comes to relationships nowadays, many of you are toting around weight that is no longer yours to carry. 
and you feel like you can't take a step into healthy relationships or you can't get close to God because of all the weight that you're carrying around, all the baggage that you're carrying around when it comes to sex. The good news is, and, and this is kind of just a little side thing, we're not going to hang out here for too long, but man, the good news is that the baggage that you're carrying, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, it is not yours anymore. There's grace. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to carry that filthy feeling anymore, that dirty feeling, that the, just the, the, the images, the regret. It is not yours to carry anymore. Jesus Christ carried it on the cross. And then that fourth barrier that we have to get past is the gender barrier. It's the gender barrier that we're in here in a room, there's girls, there's guys, and, and we kind of there's that natural kind of ebb and flow, that tension of, hey, how do we talk about such a sensitive subject with both genders in the room? Because girls kind of have one perception and one kind of makeup, and guys kind of have another perception and another makeup. How do we marry the conversation in such a way that one gender is not isolated? And that's what we're going to try to do today. Just so you know, tonight we really are framing the conversation of relationships and dating in a completely different way than you probably expected. Tonight we're going to gear our conversations towards biblical manhood. Next week will be more of a biblical womanhood. And, and so here's what I, I encourage you is ladies, tonight listen cl cl closely. This is not just for the men. I hope tonight as we paint a picture of biblical manhood, you would see a picture of your future husband, husband in your head. Men, men, yeah, I hope so too. Men, men, listen closely. Guys, listen closely. Because I believe that what God has for us in Scripture is fundamentally, I mean, it changes everything when we begin to talk about what a man is and what a man isn't, especially within the context of sex and relationships. But one place that we want to start, that we want to make sure that you understand, is that we don't want this to be just a, a bash fest on past mistakes. Very easily, as we begin the conversation of sex and dating and relationships, we could stand up and we could just make ourselves feel really bad and down for past mistakes. But that is not what we desire for this series. That is not what Matt desires for this series. It is really a hope that what we talk about would be helpful and hopeful. That's why I mean, we have fun with the, with the, the bumper video, the video that, that was playing before I came up. We want this to be a little bit more lighthearted than the normal sex talk is. Because I know when you guys hear sex talk and it's coming from church, you already have an idea. Many of you have an idea of what that's going to be, right? You think, okay, I'm going to come. He's going to say, hey, Sex is bad. Don't do it before marriage. If you do, a puppy's going to explode. True love waits. Amen. Right? That's what many of you expect to happen when we begin to talk about sex in church. But we really don't want that to be what is communicated. We really hope that something different is communicated and you receive something completely different. Something that is hopeful. Something that is helpful. Something that is encouraging. Because we want you to be more encouraged about what can be for your future marriage than what has been and where you've been. Because God has an incredible plan for you. And that is, is something that's difficult to wrap our minds around when it becomes to something like sex. Because when we know and we learn that God says, hey, don't have sex before marriage, many of us immediately default to thinking of God as this big, mean dictator in the sky who's just saying, hey, don't do a, a couple of things, Right? But I promise you this, God does not list out what is sin and what is not sin in order to just be a dictator. God lists out those things in order to provide for us a life that is better and good. God says don't have sex before marriage because he wants your marriage to be awesome. Have you ever thought about it like that? 
God desires your marriage to be absolutely incredible. So just take a deep breath. Can we do that together? I'm not going to beat you up with a bunch of Bible stuff today. We don't want you to walk away feeling condemned. We don't want you to, to walk away feeling any more regretted, regretful than you may already feel. We hope you walk away knowing that Jesus Christ is good. His grace is enough, and he has a plan for your marriage. He has a plan for your relationships. So like I said, we're jumping into biblical manhood. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. I don't know what kind of Bibles you guys have on your phones or anything like that. But we're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to kind of paint this dichotomy that we see between the world's definition of man and God's definition of man. I'm sure we both can agree that, that they're pretty different, right? If I were to ask you what you think about when you think about a man, many of you would have this image of like a lumberjack Paul Bunyan chopping wood, shooting guns, winning chicks, grunting a little bit whatever, working on cars. I don't know why, but that's kind of this, that, that mental image we get when we think about man. And, and so when I begin to kind of just kind of think through the definition of, of a man versus, you know, in the world's eyes versus the definition of a man in, in God's eyes, I began to see that the world tends to define men by some external characteristics, Almost purely external characteristics. We think about a man. I mean, you're a man if you, if you like to watch the Super Bowl. You know, you're a man if you can do this. You're a man if you can grow a full beard, which, of course, is a glorious thing to grow a full beard. But it does not necessarily mean that you are a man. And God's definition of manhood tends to, to start in a deeper place. God's definition of manhood tends to start somewhere from within, and there's an internal reality of who Christ is that affects the external circumstances. Do you see the difference? The world's definition of man starts with external characteristics. God's definition of man starts from within. This is internal reality of who Jesus is, and it overflows into who they are in these external characteristics that are going to be visible in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because I, I'll put it this way, the problem really is pretty simple, okay, to some degree, when we begin to talk about men and, and who men are and, and what happens uh, when a man begins to pursue a woman. Because the reality is men are dumb, guys are dumb, okay? They, uh, they, they, they make quick decisions and they tend to be more of a mammal than a human, okay? It's just a reality. I Listen, and when I say that, it's funny because some girls are like, uh-huh. You know, it's funny, but you can go look this up online. Harvard did a study of the male brain. Okay, I can't make this stuff up. And uh, you can go online, find, find the research. Harvard did a study on the male brain, and it flashed up different images of different men and just kind of, you know, doing a few things. And when it came to a picture of a woman in a bikini, the same part of the brain lit up on a man that lit up when he saw a hammer. <laughs> I guess that's funny. It's funny, but it's kind of sad. Here's, here's why I share that, guys. Here's why I share that. Is men, guys, ladies, just bear with us, okay? Because dudes mess stuff up. Mess stuff up if it's not for Jesus. But so what? 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 You need to know is that on our own, without the gospel in our lives, without Jesus in our lives, men are wired to see women as tools. 
to see women as things, to see women as objects. But Jesus Christ comes in and makes things new, okay? So that's where we're gonna leave that. But the reality is there are issues inside of men and how we're wired that have to be addressed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening here in this passage of scripture. So this may seem a little odd because as we dig into 1 Timothy chapter 3, what you'll see is this passage is talking to overseers. It's talking to deacons of the church. It's talking to men who are, who are stepping up into leadership of the church. And, and here's why I think this is relevant. is There are a lot of things within this passage of scripture, in this text, that define an overseer in the church. But you can build a bridge of principles from, hey, if that is a picture of a leader in the the church, then I can take truth from that and know that it applies to being a man. Would you agree that if this is the picture of the ideal leader in the church, we can pull truth from it to p- get a better picture of what a man of God is. So let's hop in to 1 Peter chapter 3. And, and if you're thinking, hey, why is, is manhood the conversation we're beginning with? Uh, why, why not just hit sex head on? Uh, hey, if you're growing as a man of God, it obviously will affect who you are in the context of your dating relationships and your sex life. We're going to go deeper than just talking about the symptom of, of, of a broken sex life. It's like if we deal with the symptom rather than the heart, it's like trying to treat cancer with a Band-Aid. Jesus always digs into the heart, and that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to go beyond just talking about the symptom of, a, of how we are broken in our view of sex, and we're going to look at a bigger picture of what it means to be a man of God. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to hit verses 8 through 10. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Down to verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves to be blameless. Here's the first truth I hope you see in this text. It's going to be on, in your notes. A real man's private life matches his public life. A real man's private life matches his public life. And you see that. That's what that phrase above reproach means. That's what you begin to garner when you, when you think about a husband of one wife and you think about being self-controlled. Is we think about a man, when you think about your life, men in this room, does your private life match your public life? When you go home tonight and you're in the quietness of your room, maybe you're even with your significant other, does your life then match who you are in this room tonight? Does your private life match your public life? Or do you find yourself constantly, when it comes to holiness, trying to tiptoe a, 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 a edge, trying to tiptoe the cliff of behavior? Because here's what we typically do when we are in relationships and we say we love Jesus. Holiness becomes a conversation of don'ts, right? That's just how we've kind of created it in our church culture. And I don't think we meant to. It's just kind of what happened. When you become a Christian, you begin to ask the questions. All right, so what am I no longer allowed to do? 
Do you guys know what I'm saying? So when I was a student pastor, I used to be a youth pastor, I would literally have mainly guys ask me this question. And I'm sure you've all asked this question. You've all wondered this question. How far is too far in my dating relationship? How far is too far? And you know what that question reveals? I, I think it's a fair question. I think it's something to actually dive into. But it does reveal something about where you are in your frame of thinking in regards to the physical nature of your relationship. Because here's what that reveals. When you ask how far is too far, you're trying to figure out how close you can get to the line of sin without falling over into sin itself. Which unfortunately is the reverse of what the gospel has called us to do. The gospel says, hey, if this is the line of sin, literally I'm using the cliff because I feel like I'm really, really high right now, is if this is the, the cliff, this is the, the, the line of sin, men and, and women in this room, in your relationship, if you want to know how far you can go physically without sinning, what you end up doing is tiptoeing a cliff that you cannot maintain your balance on. When the gospel says, hey, if that's the line of sin, turn away from it and run to Jesus. The difference is, instead of asking the question of what do I not get to do, we get to ask the question of what do we get to do? You see it? It's negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement. We get to run to Jesus. And men, if your public life does not match up with your, pri your private life, I, man, I, I've come to, to, to see that you're probably trying to tiptoe a line of morality rather than run to Jesus. Integrity. Integrity, it's a word we hear often, but when nobody's watching, who are you? When your reputation is not necessarily on the line or you think nobody else will know, who, who are you? What are the decisions you are trying to make? Part of the issue is we see sin in the wrong light. We see sin as breaking God's rules when in reality sin is breaking God's heart. In reality, sin is so much deeper than you and I not being able to measure up to a checklist. Sin is literally turning our back on the God of the universe who gave his life so that we could live. That's what sin is. And, and guys, when you put on a face publicly that is different than who you are privately, you are suckering a girl into a false persona. And when she meets the real you, it's going to betray her heart as well. It's going to break her. It's going to hurt her. Which leads us to the, to the, next, the next point, the next uh, portion of your notes when it says a real man provides and protects. A real man provides and protects. And, and, and you see that all throughout this text. In fact, all throughout the Bible, there is a theme that men just take a personal responsibility for the people around them. Real men take a personal responsibility for the people around them. And bear with me, okay? When I say real man, I am referring to a man according to God's standards because anything short of a man according to God's standards is just a little boy, okay? Anybody, anybody, can be somebody different in public than they are in private. That means you are a child, but it takes a man to stand up for goodness in the secret places. So when we are referring to real man, we are referring to, uh, we're referring to God's standard of that. And you see throughout this text, you see words like hospitable, 
respectable, self-controlled, not, not quarrelsome, but gentle. These words that, that have to do with, with how we handle others and in our relationship men with others. Do you seek to provide and protect the people in your life, especially the girl you're dating or seeking to date or potentially marrying? Are you providing and protecting that girl? And I mean that in several ways. Really provide and protect physically, provide and protect emotionally, provide and protect spiritually. I am a husband and a father. And there is nothing more that I feel my heart called to do than to hold up my family and to protect my family. Maybe from physical harm, but probably more relevantly, but in a more real way for us, from emotional harm, from, from spiritual harm. Because don't get me wrong, there's going to be days where you might have to protect the, your significant other from physical harm, but the last thing we need in here is a gang fight because some guy just, you know, you know his eyes darted at your girl. So, so back off a little bit, no reason to buck up at anybody tonight. But, but we are called to, to, to protect and to provide spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And we kind of have to unpack that just a little bit because protecting physically and spiritually more appropriately means that you care for the status of her heart and you're able to communicate and handle yourself around a girl in a way that she feels safer when she's with you than when she's not with you. Do you feel that? Men, that you would handle yourself in a way around the girl that you're pursuing uh, that leaves her feeling more safe than when she's not with you. And that you leave her feeling more confident in who Jesus Christ is. That you leave her intact and not broken apart because of what you have been trying to do that evening. That is something that you are, are called to do. You're called to protect her. You're called to not only protect her and love her and love her heart and love her emotions and love who she is, but you're called to protect her future marriage. And here's why I say her future marriage. We have to begin to think through this lens. The, the only biblical end for every romantic relationship is marriage. That is the it. That, 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 that's the end, okay? The, that you are called by God when you begin to romantically pursue someone. If you are not uh, looking at marriage as what is potentially on the other side, then I would say run from that relationship because it's going to end in heartbreak. And what's so, I guess for me, there was a shift in my mind when I began to think about uh, dating and, and relationships, when I began to realize this, and it just it, it literally changed, uh, changed how I thought about my dating life. Men, if you are dating a girl and marriage is not the end result for you, do you realize that marriage is still the end result for her with a different guy? That not only are you protecting her when you choose to pursue purity in your relationship, but you're protecting her future marriage and you're honoring her future husband that's probably not you? I, this blew my mind. And you know, the, take that even a step deeper. Guys, if the girl you're with right now is not your future wife, that means your wife is somewhere else. And how do you hope she's being treated by a guy she's dating right now? We have to begin to think through this lens and know that not only are we called to protect and provide for her, but you're called to protect her future marriage, whether that's with you or not. Because for me, I was unbelievably blessed to marry a woman who I knew had been protected. Praise God for grace because I had not been. 
God is just so cool at bringing together broken pieces and creating something beautiful. But when you begin to think about the person, guys, the girl, think about who she is. Think about who she's going to be one day. She's going to be somebody's wife, even if she is not going to be your wife. And then I want to dive in a little bit more to provide, just because I want to encourage something in this culture. I, I think there's something lacking in so many men nowadays of just wanting to work hard. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Guys, you are called to work hard, to sweat a little bit, to give yourself away to something and to be excellent at something in a way that you could provide for a family. Not necessarily, this does not mean riches, because as you see in the text, uh, in verse 8, it says uh, that you wouldn't be greedy for dishonest gain. This doesn't mean that you're chasing after wealth, but something that you are called to do as a man is to provide for a family. And all I believe that is calling you to do is to work hard as if you're working for the Lord. That means you're going to have to fight for things. That means you're going to have to put your hand to the plow and not look back sometimes. I, any small little boy can turn around on a commitment, but it takes a man to commit to something and to work hard because he knows that he's seeking seeking to provide for a family. That is from God. That is biblical. Ephesians chapter five, go read it. If you want to read about marriage, you are called to provide and to protect a woman and a family. And that's going to require you working hard. And not only working hard in a potential job, not only working hard as you serve the church, not only working hard among your community and your friends, but that's going to cause you right now, especially in this stage of life, to work hard for personal purity and holiness. Because here's what's going to happen. Some of you, man, this conversation is, is hitting you in the heart and slapping you in the face. It is. But guess what? One sermon or an entire series for the next two weeks is not going to change you. One sermon might get your attention, but it's not going to change you. It's going to take you pressing in to who God is in his word. It's going to take you in the private places, hitting your knees and seeking God to transform your life. And that's going to take work. It's going to be hard. That last blank on in your notes, a real man leads. A real man leads. He does not allow the woman to take the reins of the holiness or the God pursuit of the relationship. And ladies, that is not at all a knock on you. You are deserving of a man who knows how to take you closer to Jesus. You're deserving of that. And you see that in the text. You see he's able to manage his own household well. He's able to, to, to lead his children well. He's able to lead his wife well. That is all right there in the text. And, the, uh, you know, and, and it's, it, it's so much weight because as you get older, you begin to feel it. And as a, a dad and a husband uh, now, I feel it that the biblical mandate to lead my family falls squarely on my shoulders. It does. Like I said, Ephesians chapter 5, if you go in there, it says men... Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Guys, what did Christ do for the church? He gave his body for her. He gave his life for her so that she would live. That amount of sacrifice, that amount of leadership, that amount of love is what you were called to give one day to your wife. In the dating season that you may be in right now, are you getting ready to love a woman as Christ loved the church? Is your heart prepared for that? Is your mind prepared for that, to love her in that way? 
One way a man leads, and I believe this is super relevant to where many of us are. Many of you have kind of these pseudo relationships kind of forming. And guys, unfortunately, you may have like five of them in this room right now where you have this sort of dating relationship where you're hanging out with a girl that you find fun, right? Girls, some of you about to amen. Probably a girl that you probably text all the time. And it's probably really weird because you text a lot more than you actually talk. And And so you have this pseudo relationship where you hang out, you're having fun, you're texting a lot, and the girl's starting to think, man, maybe this guy has something for me. And you're over here thinking, nah, but you're not talking about it. And therefore you're not leading her, you're not being intentional with her. Well, to kind of breathe some life into this, uh, anybody watch Jimmy Fallon? Somebody know where I'm going with this? Jimmy Fallon had uh, Nicole Kidman on uh, the other night. And uh, there was some miscommunication as to the, the, the DTR. Do you mind know that? Define the relationship. Man, it's your job to define the relationship. And Jimmy Fallon did a horrible job of defining the relationship. Check the screens. I don't know if you remember this, but we, we met before. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Do you remember this? It was really embarrassing for me. Yes. It was? Yeah. Do you want me to? I have not seen you since then. I have not. Right? That is correct. No. But this is a years ago, and I, do you want me to tell my version of the yeah, story? Yeah, you tell your version. <laughs> I'm walking down the street in New York City. Yeah. My friend Rick calls me and says, dude, what are you doing? I go, I'm just walking down the street. He goes, uh, I have Nicole Kidman with me, and she wants to meet you for uh, maybe to be in Bewitched or something like that. So I go, what? Uh, okay. And she goes, I can be in your apartment in like 10 minutes. I go, you're going to bring Nicole Kidman over to my apartment? I'm like... Okay, I don't know, what, what do I do? What do I have something, what do I do? He goes, I don't know, just get some cheese and crackers or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, cheese and crackers? I don't even talk about that. I don't, I don't have dinner party. I don't have anyone over my house. I'm like, I have video games and sneakers. I mean, I really, I was, so I go and I go, I, there's a deli and I go in the deli. I go, what, what do you mean cheese? He goes, get brie or something. I go, brie? I don't even know what that is. I'm like, uh. So I go in, this is like, I'm on Saturday Night Live, I guess, or something. I don't remember really when it was. But I just remember I liked you, and he was like, not now. Um, <laughs> I'm married now. Um, but he was like, oh, well, you can meet. I mean, I don't... <laughs> not that way. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? So he says... So Rick, our mutual friend, says, oh, yeah. you know, Jimmy wants to meet you and you can go over to his apartment and da-da-da-da. And I'm single and I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes. Could I date Nicole Kidman? Do we so go, I go date? over, though, and you're there in a baseball cap and, like, nothing. Just like... <laughs> you had Greek cheese. Like, and you wouldn't talk. You didn't say anything. You were like, hey. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you, 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 I didn't say I'm very nervous. I didn't say Okay. I didn't know this was, so, a, uh, this was a thing. I thought this was, was a like movie. It was like a hang. It was meant to just, I don't know. And then you put a video game on or something. And I'm like, this is so bad. <laughs> No interest. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> had no and I kind of left and went, okay, no chemistry. And then I was like, maybe he's gay. 
Can, can we be honest about something? Sometimes communication and leadership is hard, man. It's hard for, for a guy to know how to set the pace in the relationship, but men, it's your job to set that pace. It's your job to draw the line. It's your job to, to help that girl feel secure in the relationship, to feel safer with you than when she's not with you. And that requires you stepping up and leading. Now, obviously, that's a funny example of, of not communicating. It's a funny example of not knowing where things are. But one of the, sometimes one of the sweetest things you can do, men, is to let the girl know where you are and to lead her towards something, not into some just, a, just some glob of a relationship that you kind of hang out, you kind of text, you have nothing else really going on. Can I be honest with you? Every girl in this room, then every girl that you're going to come in contact with deserves a guy to look her in the eyes and be honest with her and to lead her in a way that honors her and honors God. Are you in a place where you can be the one to do that? Doing uh, leadership is a really difficult thing to do. By definition, it's going somewhere you have not been before and being the one that's at the front of the line. Leading a girl into a relationship that has a level of purity that's never been had by you before, leading a girl towards Jesus is difficult, but I promise you it's worth it. Crossing that line of physicality and sex only will end up picking apart the relationship to where there's nothing worth saving. Brokenness and heartache are what are at the end of the line when you begin to compromise the boundaries and you begin to compromise the line of what is okay and what is not. And ladies, if you find yourself having to be the one to say no, that guy has dropped the ball, so get up and go home. Men are called to lead. Men are called to set the pace. Ladies, and it's okay to wait on that guy. You are in no hurry to date someone that is going to not treasure you as much as Christ has treasured you. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So where do we find ourselves at the end of this conversation? Men, you have an unbelievable charge on you. You have an unbelievable charge to lead, live the same life publicly that you live privately, to provide and to protect. And I understand that is a heavy weight, but it is a noble weight. It is a noble task, as 1 Timothy chapter 3 said. And men, you are charged to lead. And for some of you, that breaks your heart because you know you're not that man yet. But here's the good news. One, grace. What's old is old. It's in the past. Second Corinthians 5, 17, for the old is gone, the new has come. And when new, that is not a better you, that is a new you. That is a brand spanking new. The, the, the rest can be literally forgotten. The Psalms say that it is, is, your sin is as deep as the, as the ocean floor, as far as the east is from the west. And newsflash, the east never touches the west, okay? So that's how far your sin can be if you are in Christ, so there can be newness, and guess what? There also can be growth. If you feel like this is an area of your life that you just can't find victory in, you're a slave to pornography, you're a slave to treating girls like junk, you're a slave to all these type of evil things and sin in your life, guess what? Growth can happen. And if you set your eyes on Jesus, find some men in your life who will call you out when you slip up and dive into God's word, I promise you there is victory that can be had by you starting tonight. Will you take up the charge? Ladies, as I said, wait on that guy. If he can't draw the line 
know that it's time to get out. And I know that's going to be difficult, but be patient, be careful, be honest, and above all, to the ladies and the men in this room, be prayerful. Seek the Lord. Ask him to give you the patience. Ask him to give you the wisdom. Ask him to give you the honesty. Ask him to, to allow you to rest in grace. When you feel like your, your, the regret is so heavy, you cannot lift your head, I pray that you find that there is more grace than you could have ever imagined. And that at the end of all of this, your best idea of your marriage is small compared to what God wants for your marriage. He wants the most incredible great and awesome marriage you could ever, ever imagine. And when you line up your life with the life that he has lined up for us in scripture, I promise you what you will find is it will be worth it. I ask you and I challenge you to do that. Let's pray.